This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey, lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. You know those moments that are late at night and you know that you need to go to bed, but you don't want to do all the things that prep you for getting into that bed, you know, like brushing your teeth and doing whatever skincare regimen you have or staring longingly into your own eyes, into the mirror. The effort of that can be daunting and so unmotivating, especially when you're curled up in a blanket and you're just wanting to melt or somehow transfer yourself into the bed with all of these things already done. So without a thought, You whip out your favorite self-regulating tool, your cell phone, and start swiping away at your favorite meditation app, the Gram, and you're at it a while, following dopamine-rewarding photo after dopamine-rewarding meme down a black hole of no end and no actual insight until, hey, it's 2 a.m. in the morning, and you still have not done any of your bedtime things. Fuck all those accounts who seemingly get us and who we actually are. Wow. We are so fortunate to have one of those Instagram black hole reasons hear himself. Or maybe it's more of your thing to vortex for hours on the exciting new dating app that's out there. Either way, we're really lucky today because we've got John Kim, the angry therapist here, to give us some real and raw truths about dating in this modern age. And the reason why I bring up this whole black hole thing of Instagram, he's one, he's one that I oftentimes will vortex on. But so let me give you for a moment a taste test of one of his I don't know what you call these things, memes, or if you call them quote boxes or whatever the kids are calling them these days, but they're so, they're really inspiring. I find myself writing them down in my journals or sharing them with you all on my Instagram, sex love yoga, but just tune into this for a moment. If you choose to love instead of trying to be loved, it can change everything. Now, just let that sink in a moment. And there's more of this that we're going to be diving into today. But before we get to John, I really want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank you for your reviews that help me gain points in the podcast stratosphere. I want to thank you for sharing with your best friend and your Instagram followers. I want to thank you for letting me know how this info has really rocked your sex world because it's literally my pleasure because my goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex better. And if you haven't already, please head to eatplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, and read more about how you can up-level your sex love and vitality. Now, to our amazing guest that I'm stoked to have here on the show. I could barely contain myself. (laughs) Even before we started recording, we started chatting. 
John Kim, who is the angry therapist. Thank you so much for joining me today, John. That was probably the most beautiful entry intro that I have ever received. <laughs> oh my I'm suddenly intimidated. Wow. Oh my gosh. No, now really tell me, how are you feeling today, John? I am feeling, um, you know, it's 2020 and I'm sitting in my living room, um, looking at the uh, house in the Hills, uh, in your gray t-shirt in my gray t-shirt, which you are wearing as well. <laughs> and so I feel, I feel very connected to you and it just yeah. feels, uh, it's a gorgeous day in Los Angeles. It's a new decade, not only a new chapter, but I think a new act break and, uh, I'm feeling hopeful and just excited to, to have this conversation and create some dialogue. So we're not angry. Uh, no, I, I used to be angry, not anymore. That's false advertising, I believe, John. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, I think now <laughs> anger is my way of saying that I'm human. So it's not a, it's not a bad thing that the, the therapist is angry. It's just him saying that he's human. Yeah. Did you, as a therapist, did you ever use those feeling charts with your clients to help them identify where they were at? No, you know what? Um, as a therapist, I never used all the uh, the clinical interventions that you find in um, you know drawers of treatment centers. Um, I just because I started running groups early on, and I just felt like uh, I wanted to do something that was kind of unique and different. Uh, so I, w I was the guy that would bring like um, DVDs, and, and this was at the time when there were DVD players, um, <laughs> and, and do, like you know, watch the breakfast club, do cinema therapy, use uh, movie clips as interventions. I never pulled from the, uh, the generic ones in the file cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think, I, wow, that really reminds me of when I was, you know, doing group therapy and I did more experiential things. So I was that annoying therapist who made everybody get up and gave everybody roles and, and <laughs> got them to all just like embody and feel the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever works, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and why you identify as the angry therapist? Yeah, in a nutshell, uh, 10 years ago, went through a divorce, um, left with uh, uh, nothing. <laughs> I mean, I left with a pillow and my car uh, and a uh, broken heart, and it forced me to start all over. And at the, t at the time I was um, becoming a therapist, I was in uh, uh, after graduate school, now getting my hours. And for many who don't know, it requires about 3,000 hours to become licensed. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a thing. It's a big thing. Which I had no idea about. Um, I was actually talking to my own therapist and he was like, you should do it if you want to. And I thought it was just getting your master's. He never told me about the hours and that took me like five years. Mm -hmm. um, so I was on that journey. And, uh, you know, the good thing about an expired, uh, in this case, marriage is that you could start all over. So I just went on this whole journey. Uh, self-betterment journey, um, connecting back to myself. I found uh, CrossFit. I uh, got some tattoos, bought a motorcycle. And I started to work in a way that was unconventional, meaning um, I started a blog on Tumblr. And then uh, that kind of went from followers to questions to then people wanting sessions. And I've just managed to build uh, a full online practice um, without ever having an office. So I ended up... Um, just meeting people at coffee shops and walking with my clients around the lake here in Silver Lake. And I thought if we're going to talk about life, let's do life while we're talking. And so I was, I was mm. kind of the, the therapist that went rogue. How did you do that? I can imagine you had so many therapists just me like, Oh my God, yeah. how dare you? Yeah. And especially 10 years ago, you know, yeah. 
Um, this is what I learned. So I had jobs in treatment centers where um, I would wear the shirt and tie and, uh, you know, the wrinkle free pants and, and be a quote unquote therapist. And I didn't feel, I felt kind of like Clark Kent pushing the mail cart, you know? <laughs> and then when I went home, um, when I came home, I would just be super active on Tumblr, make these stupid videos. This is kind of the beginning of like social media and, and I would be, be blogging. And I, and I felt, um, more like Superman. I felt like I, I had a cape. And so I listened to that and I started to feed that. And so what happened was, um, I kind of, I called myself a coach, even though I have a therapist background, a clinical background, mm-hmm. uh, because with coaching, there, there, there's no board. And then I said, you know what, I'm just going to work in a way that's honest to me. And I just did it. And so what I realized in doing it is that people are actually open to, um, especially today, uh, unconventional ways, you know, um, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with therapy. I think therapy is great. It's never going to go away, but you don't just have to sit in an office anymore. And I think that there are new and creative ways to, to help people, you know? Yeah. You're, you're meeting people where they're at, which I think is a yeah. huge art form that many therapists can miss because they want to put their modality onto this person and say, here, fit this. And you're like, no, Hey, let me meet you where you're at so that we can connect on this human level. I think also with, um, you know, technology and apps and, and people now, cause when I started this, the, the webcams used to be something you plugged in and it was new, <laughs> and, you know? So like the technology wasn't there yet, but now like, you know, FaceTiming your therapist or mm-hmm. you know, Skyping her is just kind of common. Like, like yeah. the, I think what's going to happen is it's going to keep, keep growing and growing. Um, so I started now texting people and I think that's going to be a new frontier. So, you know, I, I think it's about, um, not fighting the evolution and the, just the, the change in the world instead of um, instead using that as kind of a, a tool and, and getting excited about um, helping people in different ways. Yeah, I love that. And and before I move on with that piece, how do you what do you mean you text with your clients? What is that? What does that even look like? Oh, so I started playing with texting just because I I thought, you know, the like 5 years ago email was king and and if you had a lot of emails and you know, you could you could reach a lot of people. Um, but today, how many people actually check their email? Like it's oh. all, it's mostly spam and we just breeze <laughs> through it. Um, and then how many people te- check their texts? I mean, you know, it's like 99%, right? So yeah. I started collecting numbers and then I was like, okay, great. Now they trust me with their phone number. What can I do with this? And so at first it was just me, um, sending, you know, like, like what you read, inspirational text, things that I write every morning. But then I thought, okay, let's really turn this into a program. So now, um, every week there's a different topic like codependency or dating or relationships or whatever. And then I text out on Fridays, an actual private link to a Google doc that takes you deeper. So it's like, what? yeah. And so That's like, brilliant. This is a, it's a new way. And, um, texting is also expensive. So it's like five bucks a month, but I figure, you know, the price of a latte, it, it may be worth it. Um, so you w- wake up every morning with a new mindset or a reminder or something from me where you can get a shift in perspective. And then on Fridays, go deeper on that topic. Oh my God. You managed to like come out o- among the sea of everybody who is in my email and all the subscriptions of everything, you know, to get the free ebook or whatever it is. And, and just yeah, all the rest of the emails just kind of sit there and you're like, Hey, no, I want to again, meet you where you're at, which is on your cell phone, which is yes. in your hand. 
Yes. And, um, I think, I think you nailed it. It really is about meeting people where they're at. Um, when I was frustrated with the whole clinical route, um, and listen, nothing against therapists. I think we need therapists. I think therapists are amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, I don't think that's the only way. And so when I was frustrated, I, uh, out of my kitchen, I kind of created this thing called journey coaching. And, uh, now it's a full on, you know, company that's bigger than me. But um, we started coaching and teaching people how to be coaches, uh, relationship coaches, mindfulness coaches, other types of coaches where you don't have to even be a therapist, but you can coach people and you're not doing therapy or you're coaching, but you can coach people. And I think that's going to be, you know, the new way. Mm, wow. That's incredible. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just thinking as you're talking about the texting and the, the lessons that you send to people, honestly, we missed you last month because, you know, with all this technology that's changing, um, I create, I, so I create themes each month and I write about it. And last month month was the month of better dating. Mm -hmm. And you write a lot about dating. Yeah. And so with all the technology that's changing and, and you're, you seem to be on the forefront of those changes, what do you see, what's your perspective on what you see happening in the way that we're doing things dating wise today, especially yeah. with technology? I think dating is dead. And what I mean by that is because <laughs> of, uh, because of swipe culture, because of ghosting, because, um, you know, humans have now become baseball cards and because of, uh, false advertising, as you mentioned, and being able to hide behind filters and phones. Um, it, we don't date anymore. Like there's no effort. There's basically, we swipe, we find someone, there's a meeting, maybe 10 minutes at a coffee shop. And while we're meeting them, we're running, you know, our checklist. And, and if they fit, if they are quote unquote, the one or whatever, and if they're not while they're in the restroom, we're swiping and setting up our next date. So are people really doing that Wait, When the person goes to the bathroom, they're on to their next date. Um, I'm imagining so, but <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, that's awful. I'm never well, going to the bathroom on a date again. Well, here's the thing. You have the ability, so I don't see why not. I, I'm sure that while someone's <laughs> in the bathroom, if you're not feeling it, you're on your Instagram or you're uh, checking, yeah. you know, you're doing something. So why not? Why aren't you uh, checking your uh, Tinder or your dating app? I'm sure you are. And suddenly or sex not. love yoga or <laughs> the angry <laughs> therapist. <laughs> right, right. Um, <laughs> So people are not being present. I know, you know, when I was uh, in my 20s and you actually had to have the balls to ask someone out on a date um, and you've earned that, then I was out washing my car. I was setting up my uh, six disc CD changer. <laughs> you know, I would drive up to her door, knock on the door. Like, you know, it was actually, there was a lot of effort. It felt um, important. It felt like um, you had to earn this time. And today um, people have just become disposable. Oof, ouch, that really hurts. And, and so I know I'm sure you're feeling it too, but you know, in our clients, um, especially women, I got to say women in their thirties, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of, um, people that don't like what's happening with the, the dating landscape. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, men and women, I have them both in my office and they're all frustrated and yeah. everybody's, yeah. you know, they're trying to do the dating app. Cause apparently that's what the thing that you do now to meet people. Cause nobody leaves their house or work or their own circle of friends. Right. <laughs> right. And, and it's really upsetting them. Yeah, I, I agree hundred percent. And there's also now celebrities claiming to be self-partner. There's this swell happening where, um, it's not about finding the one, but it's about finding yourself. Mm, what do you mean about that? Well, I think that people are frustrated with the landscape and they're deciding that they're going to be 
you know, single for a while, or they're going to uh, work on themselves and what they want more so than trying to find uh, their perfect partner. Uh, and how do you see that influencing the the dating scene? Um, I predict, uh, so th- I don't want to keep plugging things, but the, my next book's called Single on Purpose. And <gasps> Um, uh, Harper picked it up. And I think the reason they picked it up was they also feel that that's the pulse where I think um, there's going to be a, a, a backlash with all these dating apps. Um, and I don't, I'm not, I don't think dating apps are going to go away. And I think dating apps are great if you use, you know, a small spoon to, to, to use it. Like when you feel good about yourself, when you're, um, you know, using it as a tool, not as a means, you know, but I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a swell or a movement where um, singlehood is empowering and you're not, you know, defective or less than because you're single, but it's a great opportunity for you to um, connect back to you. Oh, I love that. Like dating yourself, figuring yourself a single on purpose. What do you mean by single on purpose? Because um, right now I know a lot of people who are like, trust me, buddy, it's not on purpose. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and I think part of that is the pressure that society puts on us, you know, our internal ticking clock. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you're right. I mean, people in their thirties, uh, people that are following this old blueprint where you need to find your one, get married, have kids, like, you know, the picket fans, all of that. Um, and I think there's less of that today, but it's still, you know, we're still holding on to it. Right. And I think that is going to slowly fade because um, of the frustrations of how we meet people today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And the, have you yourself ever been on dating apps? Cause oh, yeah, as sure. you're, you're, you're doing this whole timeline of yourself of when you were dating and, and, and some of the, some of the youngins out there are like, I don't even know what a six, CD changer is yeah. <laughs> what is a pager <laughs> how are webcams outside you plug them in what are you talking about john i know <laughs> i remember those things but yes <laughs> I, I was break dancing the first time it was in in the 80s so stop uh, it you were you were a break dancer yeah i was uh, at 12 that was uh, some of the happiest times of my life was spinning on my head and so, um, one of the, you know, one of the things I talk about is when I found CrossFit, it wasn't so much the, um, the fitness, it was all the gymnastic movements that connected me to that, the spirit of that 12 year old that was so happy. Yeah. Spinning yeah. on your head. I think that's why you come up with all these really sharp quotes. That's it. <laughs> that's the secret. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You got to shake that, shake that, shake your head inside. Yeah. 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 I do yoga. I stand on my head. So that oh. must be why I'm oh, nice. so smart. Yeah. All the blood what? to your head. Upside down, guys. That's when you're the most creative. <laughs> Doing it right now. <laughs> so, so you have done the dating apps then? Yeah, of course. Um, I've, so I've been in relationships most of my life, but there have been stretches. Um, after my divorce, you know, I went through many years of being single um, on purpose, you know, just kind of finding myself. And um, yeah, I, I played around with the dating apps. Um, I, like everyone else, uh, you know, um, was a hostage to them. You know, they can be addictive. You could, you could begin to find your worth in, uh, the apps based on, you know, how many swipes you get, or if people actually respond to you. Um, you could also feel very rejected, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and they don't even know you. They're, they're actually just seeing a projection. Right. Ooh, expand on that a little bit. Cause I'm sure there's people out there who don't understand that concept. I think that it's very easy to curate a 
a version of yourself that is not true. <laughs> we have all the tools to right? So whether it's a photograph that's filtered or, you know, the way that you write something, um, we can now present ourselves in a way that that's, that's, that's manipulated, I guess. And so with dating apps, I think too many people are doing that where if you meet the person, um, you're setting yourself up for a disappointment, you know? Mm. Um, I, I swear I swiped on, uh, uh, not literally, but I swiped on a Drew Barrymore and Drew Carey showed up. Shut and the phone. No way. It was so, it was so obviously bad or, or dishonest that, um, I, I was shocked. And then I thought to myself, Oh, this is happening. And this is called, I me, mean, I guess they call it catfishing. Yeah. Where, and I was like, and I was thinking to myself, if you look, you know, if you take your best photos that you've ever taken and you, and you put, present yourself in a way where, um, you have to try to live up to that in person and you don't, then you're already entering the date with your date feeling disappointed. And I was thinking, why would people do that? They're setting themselves up. You know, um, if you present yourself in a very honest way, and of course you could have, um, some beautiful pics, but also have real pics and, um, be yourself. Then when they see you, they may be pleasantly surprised, not disappointed. Hmm. Hmm. That's some really good advice. <clears throat> I also thought about when you were saying this, this concept of projection onto people, that's something I bring up in my therapy office as well, because, you know, as therapists, our, our clients, you know, we develop a, um, this, uh, ability, clients develop this ability to be intimate, emotionally intimate without the sexual piece of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so sometimes feelings can, can evolve in that. And then having to, to, or, uh, processing with them, the concept of, you know, whatever they're placing onto us as therapists is simply a projection from their own minds of what they understand us to be. Um, they creating a whole storyline of us that they really don't know anything about us. And, and I think, so as you're talking about the idea of projection. I think we all do that in a sense. We take what we see and then we create storylines around who we think this person is. Yes. Uh, and I think with things like Instagram, especially, um, it's so easy for that to happen. Yeah. How would you suggest somebody help themselves in being able to mitigate or, um, uh, you know, prevent themselves from going on creating novels around one single person? I think you have to, um, oh, when you're taking in other people, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that you have to um, um, connect with them uh, as fast as you can. Like for me, when I was, when I was uh, uh, swiping, the rule I set to myself is like, get off the app as fast as you can. Meaning if you connect with someone, meet them in person. Ooh, I like that. Because if you're, if you don't, then you're, um, doing a lot of uh, communicating, DMing, and then you yeah. start creating this fantasy of what the person could be. And I then really it like that. It. So yeah. yeah, you use the app to connect, right? Use the app to meet, but the real meeting is going to be in person. So um, stop wasting time on 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 your phones and actually sit in front of them and feel their energy and look into their eyes and have a real conversation. You know. But John, that's so scary. How it's do we do scary that? And, it's scary, and no one has time for that. <laughs> okay, so then, if that's your mindset, then you're going to um, be disappointed and get discouraged and not believe in love anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody got time for that. <laughs> right. Right. And I think that's why there's this swell of people just, you know, being frustrated with the whole landscape of dating. 
That's interesting. It makes me think, you know, it's, you know, we think we're wasting time by going out and, and meeting these people or FaceTiming these people and actually, you know, meeting them versus getting to know them first on the, on the, um, you know, the DMS or whatever, but it almost seems like it, that's wasting more of your time being on the DMS and, and yeah. Prolonging. yeah. You know, the, yeah. the time wasted because uh, people are thinking about a literal time, the time it takes to sit in front of someone, but what they're not thinking about is the time that you spend in your head uh, fantasizing or thinking about someone that's probably exponentially more. And that's more of a waste of time than the actual face to face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. So, so you're proposing this concept of, um, single on purpose and taking this intentional time to be with yourself and discover who you are. And I, what I'm thinking right now, okay, let's have a sharing circle. If you're open to that. Yes. <laughs> let's do it. What were some of your toxic patterns in relating with others that you started to identify when you were um, you know, in this single on per- on purpose. Okay. I'll go first. <laughs> I had this internal belief that I had to be everyone's entertainment in order to feel mm-hmm. valued and kept. So I drink tons of caffeine before I'd go to see anyone to amp me up and get me super fun and exciting. And I preferred long distance relationships over close ones. So they only saw the times that I was more sparkly. And then I ended up leaving the relationships first. Now, mm-hmm. after being single on purpose, which I didn't even realize, but I love that term. I don't drink coffee at all. My last couple of relationships have all been in town. And I'm quite literally best friends with still my last three boyfriends. Okay. Your turn now. Uh, I would say, um, (laughs) trying to be the angry therapist instead of John Kim. So, mm-hmm. uh, me hiding by my own caricature that I've created or persona. Now it doesn't mean that the angry therapist is false, but there's something about that, like alter ego that I created over the last decade. Um, that there's a, there's a slight difference there because one is, um, one, ha- one has more fantasy, you know, this, this idea, the idea of a, a therapist who, you know, wears ripped jeans and shows himself and, and talks about relationships and throws barbells around, um, and, and of course that, that is me, but at the same time, that's not who all, everything I am. I'm also, yeah. you know, um, flawed and all, all these other things. And, and, uh, to show up as John Kim, not as the, 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 the writer or the blog, the blogger. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that just made me feel more connected to the humanness in you mm. hearing that. Right. And why, why do you think that is? Why? Because there's so much, there's so much permission there that you give in your writings and the way that you present and the way you just shared there. It's like, oh, he's not, or either of us, we're not on this pedestal thing, you know, where we have the credentials, you know, we see people and help people with their lives and we still have our own humanness that we go through on a daily basis. So it's like, People can be like, oh, and they still love and accept themselves and they let them, you know, like they allow themselves to, to make mistakes and be less than sparkly. Like that is so healing to so many people. That's the only reason why I think when I started this 10 years ago, uh, because I decided to pull the curtain back and my very first post was called My Fucking Feelings. I think that's the only reason why people started to um, peak interest in my words It's because 
um, I decided to be vulnerable. I decided to show myself and I was in a very dark place. I didn't have any friends and I had no, nothing to lose. So it was much easier then. But I think because I did that, because if I didn't, if I came at people instead of with people, mm. then they would have just saw me as another therapist hiding or, 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 you know, preaching. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. And how would you suggest people? So, so because these are human things and you and I have our own journeys that we've gone through to, to navigate these, how would you suggest other people work on these? Oh, I think it's a practice, but I think it's a lifelong practice. I mean, to be yeah. vulnerable, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a popular word these days. And I think a lot of people wear the t-shirt, but, um, to really show yourself that's so hard. Like mm. to, to, to show yourself, um, even to your friends or to your family, uh, all the parts of you that you think people will, uh, disapprove of or reject, you know? Um, but that is your truth to actually show those parts. It's, it's one thing to think about them. It's very different to actually show them in action behavior. Yes. Yes. There yesterday I was in a conversation with a friend and, and, you know, you were just talking about t-shirts and this sparked my idea. My brain works so interesting. Um, it's, and he said, there's this, this, um, t-shirt called it's not weak to speak. Have mm -hmm. you heard about that? No, I haven't. Yeah. Apparently it's, it's, uh, this movement going through, uh, I want to say it's Australia, but the guy who started it was, um, doing this after a friend of his had committed suicide. And they he had uh, just had a conversation with that friend and everything seemed fine. And then his friend committed suicide. So he started these t-shirts and just selling the t-shirts. It's not weak to speak. And so now it's turned into this movement of teaching people vulnerability and how to speak up for uh, ourselves and speak our feelings and how that's not less than, but it's actually powerful. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I think the fact that people are seeing it and, and responding is very telling of of you know, where the world is at. That they're talking more? We're thirsty for it. Y yeah. yeah, we're thirsty. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, you, that's also the the, uh, the part of the product of, I think, social media. Um, yes, I think what's amazing about technology is it connects us and it allows us to create things like blogs and show ourselves, but at the same time, it also allows us to hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. We create these stories about ourselves that we want people to receive. Yeah, we're creating our own prison, or you can if you hide um, on social media instead of really showing yourself. Mm, yeah, and and yet it like you're saying, it's scary to to show ourselves. It's scary to be authentic. Um, that's one fear that I hear from b both my uh, male clients and my friends that they're worried about coming across as creepy if they express themselves authentically. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, basically, I, I really simplify it to am I connecting with myself or disconnecting, right? It doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter if I'm eating a donut or if I'm being vulnerable on social media. If it falls under disconnecting, that's a, it's a, a line that I've drawn a long time ago where I don't want to do that anymore. Um, so this idea of exchanging your truth for membership, you know, seeking validation, approval, all of these things that can disconnect with you, uh, disconnect you with you. Um, I refuse to do because I've been there. Right. So, um, everything falls under, am I connecting with me or am I not? And whether it's a post or a photograph, a video or me eating, you know, this donut or whatever, if, if it's, if it's coming from a place where I'm disconnecting with myself, then I can't do that. Mm. Or it's a promise I made to me, I guess you could say. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's a way to help people to, I guess, work with that fear, work with that fear, um, know what's at stake, um, start living in a way that's honest to you. Mm-hmm. All of those things. And I think what happens is if you do that long enough, your state changes, you know, you start living on higher frequencies, you start going from a chasing to attracting. Mm, yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing, not literally hearing, but, but in my head, I'm hearing listeners who are like, yeah, but that's not what's, you know, what's attractive or that's not, you know, the type of people that gets the girls kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Cause that was something that I, that I actually heard a lot, um, with the dating, the pickup artist culture. Cause mm-hmm. I, I would, um, yeah, see, see that culture a lot coming in and um, be very depressed actually, that they were afraid of being come across as creepy. And they were afraid that the way that they acted authentically wasn't going to be desirable by other partners. And so they just kept, you know, perpetuating something else that wasn't them. Yeah. I wonder why they think they would be creepy if they were themselves, you know, well, I mean, I, I think looking at our culture right now where, um, judgment. Yeah. And then from women, uh, you know, where a guy would approach them and ask you know, them a question or say hi and be given eye rolls or like, you know, be told creep or mm-hmm. be told that, you know, something judgmental. You know, I think the word word here that's important is intention. I think if mm-hmm. your intention is to um, sexualize or, or pass boundaries or whatever it is, then yes, that creep factor can kick in. But I think mm-hmm. if your intention is honest and sincere and respectful, um, you can still be yourself and it won't come off as creepy. It doesn't mean you're going to get the girl or guy. It doesn't mean someone's going to be attracted to you, but I don't think it's about that. I think it's about you being comfortable with yourself, which mm-hmm. will then ultimately make you more attractive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then even if somebody does say that you're a creep or, you know, you're being creepy to remember, okay, well, my intention wasn't that. So this must be their projection. Right. And so what it does is basically you become a a strainer and you're just weeding people out. And if someone thinks you're creepy when your intentions are in the right place and that's not the person for you. (laughs) It's not. Are you sure? I'm like so attracted to everyone who calls me a creep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you're, you know, unless that turns you on. <laughs> Everybody's got their thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What do you think? You know, we're talking about men and women who are, um, uh, y- you know, in these misperceptions of each other. Do you think there's something that women are m- not seeing in men, or you know, that men aren't seeing in women? Something that you think that would be helpful? Yeah. What a great question. Um, I think what women aren't seeing in men is, uh, that every man, uh, struggles with what a man looks like. So I think we live in a fatherless nation and I think that, um, uh, uh, a lot of men growing up don't have, uh, good role models. And of course we end up, um, you know, getting our definitions, uh, in locker rooms and watching porn and, you know, all of that stuff. And so that distortion isn't personal. It, part of it is just from the way that we grew up and that, you know, dad is either absent uh, physically or emotionally for most of us. Um, and so we're, we're searching, we don't know, you know, we're learning and growing and a lot of our, um, 
um, creepiness or whatever is coming from that journey of not knowing. And it's coming from uh, pressures from other men, uh, mm. not necessarily coming from our heart, if that makes sense. Yeah. So from these socially constructed ideas that we've received of how to be, but it's not our authentic truth. Yeah. And then I think what men don't know is that uh, because of society and pressure and advertising and, and, and of course, men putting this on women as well, that women grow up where they're always sexualized. Women grow up um, afraid and in fight or flight just because they are women in our world. Mm. And, and I think men, um, generally speaking, don't, don't grow up with that. And they don't know what that's like. And so you have um, men sometimes saying things like, well, she deserves that cat call because she's wearing that dress or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think that's where misunderstanding, judgment and a lot of pain lives. And, you know, the, that's that's kind of the uh, the whole Me Too thing. And, and I think why that became a big deal. I think uh, women are now um, tired of, of being judged and they want other people to understand what it feels like um to be constantly sexualized everywhere you go mm-hmm. so in hopes that go ahead what uh seen as objects seen as objects yeah yeah and of course um, that's just one part you also have you know uh less pay and you know treated in the workplace all of that stuff too yeah of course so by knowing these perspectives of these experiences of men and women you know just ac- across the board the general um idea helps ideally would help us to be more conscious of how we interact or the behaviors that we choose. Yes. I think it's about if both men and women try to understand each other, instead of trying to be understood, it would change everything. Whoa. Underline, highlight that. Say that one more time. Um, That last part understood. We need to try to understand before trying to be understood. I love that. Yes. But can you imagine if we all did that? I mean, like really, really did that. Not just say that. Uh, Not only with gender, uh, but also in our personal relationships. If everyone tried to understand the other person before trying to be understood, because most of us are trying to, you know, put our judgments. uh, We're trying to control. We're trying to get other people to see, uh, you know, what we think is right and wrong. But if we actually tried to understand first, um, then we build trust, uh, then there's empathy, then there's connection, then there's people being heard, it neutralizes, so now we're holding hands, right? And then we could then also express our, our opinion as well. Um, it, there would be just so much less pain in the world. Yeah, yeah. And yet, and when we try to make ourselves understood first, it's like, that's where the defensiveness comes up. That's where the manic magnets flip. The magnets flip. Yeah. Yes. And we repel. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have that experience sometimes with my sister. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, you know, that said, I, I know, especially uh, for me as well, it's really hard to try to understand before trying to be understood. That's, that's a hard thing to do. It's, it's, a, mm. it's a tall order. Yeah, because it's giving this concept of I may be wrong or there may be part of yes. my reality that is wrong if I allow your reality, if I allow myself to feel what you could have been feeling. Yes, and also you're putting ego aside. Um, you could be wrong. Uh, you could be uh, imperfect, like all of these things. Absolutely. Oh it my makes, God. It makes Awful. you kind of like uh, look at yourself. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, and, and who wants to do that? Usually people don't look at themselves until they have to, until they're going to lose custody or lose their job or lose their wife. You know, um, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of people don't, don't, they don't do it um, willingly every day. They, they do it when they have to. Right. When I always use the analogy of like when the nails in the chair get too uncomfortable, too painful to deal with, then we get up out of the chair. Yes. But yes. otherwise we just keep sitting on it. <laughs> Do you, do you have any, so some people out there, uh, some coaches out there, especially ones who specialize in dating and that kind of thing, a lot of times they'll have like rules of engagement or things that you should do, or, you know, do you ever give people rules to live by, you know, in regards to dating? Um, I would say throw away, uh, all your blueprints of what you think um, love and attraction looks like. I think that when it comes to dating, you know, that whole thing with your types and um, what we're used to. One, one, of the, one of the big, big revelations for me this year, actually, is, is that um, the, the lightning in the bottle sometimes is dysfunction. What? Expand that, can you? <laughs> so, you know, I grew up with the idea, because uh, I'm a hopeless romantic, and I like everyone else, you know, saw the Disney movies and the, the rom-coms and stuff, where you meet eyes across the room, and you just know, and you got this feeling, and, and that, that amazing feeling that you feel, um, sometimes that's actually not chemistry, that's dysfunction, meaning that is stuff that's happening underneath that we're not aware of. Like, if you're attracted to someone so much where, where you just, you know, they knock your socks off, that may not be a good thing. And I think that, that when, when you want to build something sustainable, it's more important to peel the onion, not to chase after those like crazy feelings. Mm. And I think we make the mistake because, um, you know, we see it in movies and romance novels or whatever. We make the mistake of chasing after feelings instead of really getting to know someone by peeling the onion and, and knowing that sustainability and, and, and true love happens after you swim past the breakers. Oof. Yeah. And I, and I'm sure people are like, but John, we're in love. It was love at first sight. This is my soulmate from another lifetime. Right, right, right. right. Um, I, whenever I hear that, it's always kind of a red flag for me. And that, maybe it's a, a, a pink flag, a question. A pink flag. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. So you have people sit with, well, how do you have people have people discern that? Well, I, I mean, I, I don't think you should judge it, but I think you should sit with it. I think you should be aware. I, I don't think you should go with that feeling and start thinking because I feel this way, this person's the one. Um, do you feel this way after you see the dirty socks on the floor, after you realize there's contrast, after, you know, mm -hmm. after a year or after moving in with someone? Because that's, that's when reality hits and that's when you really start to, to see love as a choice, not as a feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Because feeling is fleeting, you know? Yeah. Um, in a previous episode with George Haas, we talked about that very similar concept that you're talking about and how that was associated with our attachment strategies and how a lot of times when we get that glowy feeling around that one person, they can oftentimes be um, the perfect match to our attachment figure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think there's a lot of stuff that happens underneath um, that we should look at. And if you are consumed by feelings, you don't look at. 
<laughs> right? Like why you're attracted to someone, maybe that, maybe that person smells familiar and maybe what smells familiar is dysfunction or codependency or enmeshment, you know, all the stuff that, you know, you grew up with. Like there's so many things that are happening when it comes to two people colliding than just that person's hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So be careful of being, getting drunk on love because yeah. <laughs> yes, there you go. Be careful. There's another t-shirt and a movement be careful <laughs> of being drunk, drunk on love. I know I'm going to start my, my, um, merchandise company next. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll simplify it for you. Love sober. <laughs> sober love. I think that'll be a coffee mug yes. <laughs> or a tea, a tea thermos. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and wow, that's so, inc- this is all really good information. Um, what do you think, what was a pivotal moment in your dating um, your dating journey. So you've been in multiple long-term relationships and can you, do you have those, those aha moments where it was like things all of a sudden just like changed for you? Yeah, I think for me, um, I'm in a relationship now and I think a lot of the learning is, um, it, it, it's basically, uh, uh, for, for me, like, like what I was just saying that, um, if you swim past the breakers and so, um, trying to get to know someone on every level and understanding how they love instead of, uh, cause I, I, I used to compare and trace old, old, old love and old love because those imprints were so deep. Um, and of course you were a different, you know, different person then, um, they, that's, doesn't mean that that's healthy love. So today it's more about um, leaning into the contrast. So whether we're talking about uh, love languages, you know, because everyone has different love languages, um, attachment styles, um, all of that stuff. And I think that uh, being open to new love experiences is what creates growth and evolution, because I think most of us are always trying to, to find the one that made us feel like they made us feel, you know, in college or when we're. 20 or in high school and so we're we're tracing we're trying to trace these these old blueprints instead of evolving and and that's why i don't like the word types like you know when people are like oh he's not my type or she's not my type to me that just makes me feel like oh so you want to live in the past Mm. oh i just got shivers from that yeah yeah it's it's that's interesting i had this conversation again with a friend yesterday about um having this this i used to do this where i would rom- i'm such a romantic as well and i would romanticize like my my sad feelings and then i would think about you know these past relationships and and i would end up drawing in all these images into my mind and just allow myself to sit in the in the beautiful deep artistic wounded feeling of all mm-hmm. of that mm-hmm. and and yet, yet where we are today, where I am today, and I am not that person. And so to continue to fill our mind with those past images probably isn't helping our, our construct of what we're looking for, or who we are, or yes. who we've become. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and also, can I just say that um, love is a lifelong journey and it's going to change and grow. Uh, it's like its own living, breathing thing. It's not like you figured it out and that's that, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I think that's what also makes love hard. Uh, I've been getting a lot of questions about monogamy now and, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, open relationships. And I think monogamy now is, is kind of on trial, which is very interesting. 
And that's hmm. shaking, that's bringing up a lot of resistance in people and shaking the, the design again. Yeah. How do you, how do you respond to people who ask about that? Um, I just wrote a blog about it and did an episode on a podcast. The first thing I say is I've never been in an open relationship because if, you know, I, I don't think people are asking me because they think I have personal experience. I think they're asking me like, as a therapist, do you think that will work? Because there's a lot of conversations around it now. Yeah. I actually just posted about that too, because I got asked on another podcast if I felt that, you know, asking if, um, non-monogamy works. And then the other question, and I get asked these both frequently by other people, um, if monogamy is creating an unrealistic expectation mm -hmm. of our love lives. Sure. Especially today, you know, where we're kind of ditching the old uh, Norman Rockwell painting and everything that was um, ironclad in the 50s, right? Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this. Do you think that it works? Have you had experience with it or no? Yes, actually, I do podcasts and I do writings all about non-monogamy and I've been in multiple non-monogamous relationships. Um, I just, for me personally, I, I say this again and again, I don't think it's about which one of these styles of relationships is more evolved because that's what the conversation turns to of like, which one are we, you know, evolutionarily designed for and, and, or this one's more evolved if you can love more than one person kind of thing. It's more about how you show up in the relationships because sure. both of them are evolved and both of them were, you know, designed for, it's just what's true for you as a person. And not what somebody I mean, else needs. It's 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 kind of what we're talking about uh, when we started this is you know bringing it back to you. Um, yeah. What what how does it affect your relationship with yourself? Um, you, you you know what's interesting is uh, today more than ever you know people are getting uh, married later or less. Um, people are having less children, uh, having children later. They're adopt. They're doing all these different things. And now I think what's next is now people are going to question um, what love looks like. Mm. And can it be different? If so, how? Um, and what is, what is honest to me in the way that I want to love? And I think it's scary because I think these blueprints run really deep. You know, um, I think we care. Um, I mean, like, like if I was to think, okay, if, if, if my girlfriend and I decided to open our relationship, the first thing I think about instead of how it's going to affect me is basically what are people going to think of me? What, mm. what is my family going to think of me? What are my friends going to think of me? Like that's the first place I go to. And that's coming from a fear of um, coloring outside the lines. That's coming from a fear of not wanting to adapt to, you know, society standards. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But I'm also 46. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I have now some questions about life, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So with everything, you know, as, as people, we just continue to evolve and we're going to continue to ask these questions of ourselves. And I think that is important. We don't stay static. So I love that people are asking us these questions. They're asking themselves these questions and um, allowing themselves the flexibility to become different and change their minds and permission to act differently than they did yesterday. Yeah. And I was, you know, I, I, and I think this was the point of what, what uh, the blog that I wrote and the episode I did was it's, it's really not about um, wrong or right, or if it does works or it doesn't work to me, what's really interesting and important is that we're finally having conversations. We're just the fact that we're able to talk about it, I think is, it's, it's, it's progressive. Yes. Wow. And because when you don't, there's shame and there's, you know, uh, you're internalizing and all of that stuff, fear. Now we're being trapped in it.
now we're being trapped in it. Oof. This whole conversation, like I, I know that we, I just looked at the time cause I'm pretty much vortex with you, just like I do on your Instagram mm-hmm. account. And I think we only have a couple minutes left, yeah. but I wonder if you have, um, there was, there was a quote that I came across and, um, I really want to touch on cause we talk a, a lot about, you know, as we much as we talk about love, we talk about sex in here as well, but you had this quote on there that said, um, but this time I wanted sex to be the byproduct not the buy-in. Oh yeah. Um, just because I, um, am very sexual, I've always, um, kind of put sex first, like all of that stuff. And so, um, creating a new relationship with sex and intimacy and what that looks like, you know, instead of chasing that, um, letting that be the byproduct of something deeper or different. Mm. So again, coming back to intention, you know, where's our focus? Right. And what, what do you want to put weight on? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, that's a perfect way to end this. That's so beautiful. How can people find out more about you? How can they work with you? How can they work with their, your coaches? Um, so journey coaching, J R N I. Uh, so, uh, journey.co is where all our coaches are, uh, as well as our intensive. And then, um, just the angry therapist on social media. And if you want my text, just my website, angrytherapist.com. Yes. Yes. And that's where they can do the text program that you offer. Okay. Amazing. And I, I highly recommend everybody to give him a follow because like I said, I share his stuff in my stories. Like I talk about his stuff. It's, it's really great. It's absolutely gold. John, I love it. Thank Thank you you so much for having me and creating this important dialogue. Uh, And also thank you so much for everything you're doing. Yeah. Thank you. It's absolutely my pleasure. (laughs) Always everything in pleasure. (laughs) Wow. So I want to thank you all for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please head to eatplaysex.com, subscribe to the show and connect with us. Grab my sexy guide for you and all of your fantasies and how to have better conversations about your fantasies. Because my goal here is to help you to eat, play and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which we know will improve every aspect of your life. We'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.